Southern Skies. Online Media. This episode of Playing Crazy Down Under is proudly sponsored by Oz Runways, Australia's most complete and cost-effective electronic flight bag package for your iPhone and iPad. For your free one-month trial, visit ozrunways.com today. And by Jetride Australia. Be a top gun for the day. Visit jetride.com.au slash pcdu for the fastest ride in the country. Oh, yeah. Well, day, folks, and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 86 of the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. Well, probably on the wettest day I've seen this year here in Melbourne. Boy, is it raining outside like cats and dogs. I'm Steve Fisher, and I'm sheltering from that rain. Uh, Grant, are you doing the same? Oh, mate, I ducked out to uh, bring the garbage bins uh, before, and I can tell it's raining cats and dogs. I think I trod in a poodle. <laughs> Uh, yes, an oldie with a goodie, Grant. Oh, you know, some days you just got to do it, mate. It's It's been two weeks of terrible weather. Uh, I think, yeah, we've flown the balloons over the city once in the past week and a half, and it's not looking good for the next day or two. It's like, yeah, great, guys. Thanks, Melbourne. It's winter already. Yeah. Well, folks, I want to apologise for the uh, the length of time between episodes. It's uh, been a very busy few weeks getting out and about and around the place and getting interstate for air shows and whatever. And on top of that, uh, I've not been 100%, but uh, Grant, you have not been 100% either. How are you doing? Uh, I, think I'm, I think I'm finally turning the corner. I, um, I finally took what everyone was telling me, um, especially when the doctor sort of laid it on the line. And uh, I tried to stop doing anything for a few days. And I actually felt worse, but now I think I'm starting to feel better. So, yeah. That'd be psychological with you. Our listeners should know that uh, Grant would call a long night's sleep, what, three hours? Oh, no, four. Four. Six hours is a a pretty good night's sleep. Um, Yeah, and... It, it is indicative of what's going on that I've been sleeping eight to ten hours a night lately. Mm. You know, you're not as young as you used to be, mate. I don't think I'll ever be as young as I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway, this is not a medical show. Let's uh, see what we've got on the uh, on the roster for this show. It's going to be another big one. Now, uh, back in March, I uh, jumped on a Jetstar flight, much to Grant's horror, and I uh, headed across to uh, <laughs> to Adelaide to the Parafield Air Show. Now, they hadn't had an air show at Parafield for quite some years. Thanks to uh, Baz's company, Oz Runways, we picked up a bit of sponsorship there and uh, headed across and I stayed at the Chateau Baz overnight and uh, yeah it was great and um, yeah we headed off Baz and I uh, over to the air show and uh, started off a little bit quietly when we got there but uh, we were blessed with uh, beautiful weather that day which is always a good thing when you're trying to set up an air show and uh, that didn't take uh, long to attract the crowds if nothing else so uh, once they got there the displays got underway uh, there was quite a good crowd it's uh, got uh, steadily bigger as the day went on and uh, Grant I'm sure that the organisers uh, would have been quite pleased with the way things turned out for the day. Excellent uh, I've, I've heard lots of good things online about it so uh, yeah I I think everyone was pretty happy with that show. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Grant, you need to come to more of these air shows with me. I just realised uh, once I got there how much work uh, that you do when I'm uh, when I'm busy <laughs> editing because I have to do the whole thing on my own. <laughs> a little bit of help uh, from Baz, but Baz uh, had his hands full uh, looking after the young one. But uh, he did get quite a lot of photos, and uh, <laughs> you'll hear you'll hear Baz in a, in a couple of the later interviews in the, in this show. But uh, coming up, uh, we managed to grab John McArdle from the Adelaide and Parafield Airports Corporation. Uh, he had a, had a bit of a chat about the master plan that they've got for the airport, and uh, very encouraging actually to see, or as you'll hear, that uh, they actually have a master plan and they are uh, keeping it for aviation. Also caught up with uh, aerobatics legend Chris Baru, who I think was probably the busiest pilot there this day. We caught up with the Let's spoke to one of their pilots and to their ground crew, and uh, we spoke to uh, a number of other uh, really great people here. We also spoke to uh, David Hales from 5DME, a great social media network, uh, doing some wonderful video work, focusing.
focusing on uh, aviation in uh, South Australia. We spoke to Brenton Raglis, who's the, the Channel 9 weatherman over there and was air show MC for the day and did a fantastic job. Also, Tammy Augustin from the Australian Women Pilots Association. Boy, we had a busy day. Grant, let's uh, have a listen and see how I did. Oh, mate, I missed out on a lot. You did. I'm standing here with uh, John McArdle here at Parafield Airport. John, you're the manager of public affairs for Adelaide and Parafield Airport. That's correct, yeah, and uh, we're re- really excited about the air show today. Yeah, it's looking like a great day for it, and uh, yeah. we're looking forward to a great show. We've just got that Chinese one shut starting up over there now. There's a bit of background music. Yeah, that's yeah. all right. It's good background music, so yes, we like indeed. that here. Yeah. Now, I'm standing under here in this marquee, and uh, it's talking about uh, the Parafield Airport master plan, and it's good to see that the airport's got a master plan, so yep. what can you tell me about that? Well, we have to, uh, under law, we, as the, the the uh, landlord of the airport, you know, the government's given us the 90-year lease over it. We're obliged every five years to do a master plan, and uh, this is now uh, a review of the last one. Uh, we've got it out for public com- comment. But the uh, the exciting things about it is that it, it, it has been um, given an assurance by the minister that the airport's going to stay here. You know, the now that's the state minister or the federal minister? No, federal. Oh, uh, minister Al- Albanese. Uh, he's the the owner of the place. And uh, uh, in 2009, when we did the last, uh, we tried to do the last master plan, there was a, a big push to shift the airport, and uh, it created a bit of unrest and uncertainty within the community. Well, he's now come out and said the airport will stay here for the balance of that 99-year term, so that's about effectively another 83 years. Yep. Uh, and uh, we're now doing a review of the master plan from that basis. But the other thing is that we've managed with uh, advances in technology, uh, the radar at Adelaide, for example, the upgrade of that, uh, and a system that we introduced here at Parafield, we now can tell within a very, very low percentage what the exact number of aircraft movements are. So we're now able to give the community some confidence uh, of the, the number of aircraft that they're actually hearing. Uh, the growth that's going to happen from that base and develop the noise footprint maps that go into a master plan. So we're very confident that this master plan is as accurate as you can get it. Bringing the community along with you for the ride is, is obviously so important when uh, a lot of people may move here and we, we see this a lot, of, a lot of airports around the world where people don't like the noise, for example, mm. so that's obviously a big movement for them. But uh, what about the economic impact, that the, the business that the airport brings into the community? Yes, we've done that too. Uh, as part of this master plan, we, we had a uh, independent socio-economic impact analysis done and it identified you know, upwards of a 1,000 jobs on the airport that uh, then generate jobs within the community and and most of those people come within the catchment area of Parafield Airport so it's the community that's working here and the dollar value not only into the Salisbury and Tea Tree Gully areas but also the state as a whole from all of the international pilot training that, that goes on at this airfield is it's such is, a big thing isn't it these oh, days it, yeah. it, it's huge but we, we were also pleasantly uh, or pleased um, some of the uh, comments that we're getting from the community are that they want the airport. It's, it, you know, it's, it was sort of a small minority who have a difficulty with it, but the majority like it for its open space, its history, uh, you know, the, the um, different types of aircraft and uh, you know, the observations, and of course some of the retail that we've introduced has helped too. The Minister's obviously guaranteed that the airport will stay here for 99 years, but that doesn't mean to say that they mightn't want to parcel off certain tracts of land as we've seen at uh, Essendon and Melbourne and, and Moorabbin where they've had to 
you know, section off and, and turn bits into a, an industrial park. Is, is that a threat here? No, well, part of, the, part of the master planning process is to identify what your capacity of your airfield is as an airfield. Now, that's our prime, our prime role is to run this as an airport. So we do a capacity analysis of what's the maximum capacity that you could fit into this airfield, and that's around about 450,000 movements in a year. So we, we save and, and reserve that part of the, the paddock for air, aircraft and aeronautical operations. What's left, we're obliged under the Airports Act to develop commercially. Right. So the prime, prime role is identify what's needed for aviation purposes and then develop the rest. Keep the big manufacturing companies out and keep aviation here, that'd be obviously well, the goal. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, our, that's our role. Yeah. And uh, that's reflected in the master plan. Well, how long has the airport been here? It's been here quite a long time. Yeah, well, it started off as an all-over field back in about 1921. Uh, it became Adelaide's main airport in 1927. And uh, when uh, West Beach opened up in 1955, it reverted back to primarily uh, general aviation and flying training. But the military used it a lot during the war, of course, for, for uh, bomber training and so forth. John, one of the interesting things I find here is that um, Parafield Airport is managed by the same company that manages the main airport in Adelaide. So that's obviously a big plus. It's, uh, it gives you a great opportunity to cooperate and make sure that things have a combined approach. Indeed. And, uh, you know, there's economies of scale in that as well. So you, you, know, you only need the one uh, administration, administration centre, one IT set set up uh, one lot of security uh, knowledge and um, preparation of documentation and so forth. So it, it has its advantages, but it's also uh, to, to clearly separate general aviation and flying training from the major part of uh, RPT services. Now tell us about the amount of planning that's gone into today to you know essentially shut the airspace around a, a major GA airport to have an air show. I mean that's a major feat in itself. Oh, indeed, I mean, and, and a lot of work goes into ensuring the operational safety. Uh, on the ground and in the air, but uh, it's it's also an opportunity for the uh, for the community to see that an airport is uh, you know can be part of an entertainment package. Yep. Uh, and it, it, you know we've got to thank the uh, on airport tenants for uh, agreeing to virtually stop their operations mm. for four or five hours. Yeah, could be a good investment though, couldn't it, for them to oh, be able to showcase their wares. Yeah, absolutely. Long-term investment, yep. yeah, short-term pain. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> now, talking about the airport master plan, you said it's uh, open to public consultation. When does that period end and where can people find it? Okay, well, it's uh, it's open now uh, for the public to comment on it, and all stakeholders. Uh, closes That period closes on June 7. Uh, copies of the document are available on the Parafield Airport website, www.parafieldairport.com.au. Yeah. Uh, or if people want, they can uh, view it in the library at the Salisbury Council uh, or get copies of it through the uh, admin office here on Parafield Airport. So plenty of opportunities for people that live around the airport or people that are just interested in general to uh, have a look and see what's going on here. Yep, absolutely. John McArdle, thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you. Thank Pleasure. You. Chris Morrell, it's great to see you again and uh, I think you must be the busiest air show performer here at Parafield today. You're just about to go up for a third time. Yes, Steve. Oh, yeah. There's a hell of a crowd here. It's a, it's a good show today. The weather's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you enjoy the ribbon cut? I did enjoy the ribbon cut, and I wanted to talk to you about that because we've talked to you about your history and all the time, all the uh, great performance you've done over the years. But I've never seen you do the ribbon cut. Yeah. But you did it inverted as well. So tell us about the practice for that. Well, it all started quite a few years ago. Uh, it took me ten years to get it through the department for them to accept it, yeah. and then out of the blue they said, "Yeah, you can do it." So I, uh, I've been doing it ever since. I'm the only one that can do it in Southern Hemisphere. So the only one with an approval to do it. And how often do you do it? I mean, I've I never seen you do it before. Yeah. No, well, 
no one asked me to do it. That's a damn trouble. <laughs> but, uh, I practice it regularly at Murray Bridge. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I, I, I so keep up to speed. So obviously a lot of these yaks... Uh, it takes a lot of concentration. The aeroplane's designed to do it, of course. It's yeah. hard to fly upside down as long as you like it to. But um, the thing is, um, today I had a bit of clutter in the background. When I got down low, I had the, the hills in the background and uh, it was a little bit hard to see, so you've got to be careful. That's interesting because one of the things I was thinking when I was watching you do it is that it is hard to see from where we were standing and there wouldn't have been a lot of visual reference points. So, no. I mean, I noticed you did a number of passes at it before you actually committed to doing it. If, yeah, uh, you I know. just wanted to get a feel for it and uh, work out my uh, reference points. Yeah. But uh, once I got that, it's a matter of picking up on the balloons. Once I see the balloons, I can roll upside down. And I know that if I just aim for the balloons, so I'm not in the ground. Yeah. So if you take your eyes off the balloon and uh, they look at the ground, well, that could be disastrous. So it takes a lot of practice and concentration. You know? You're not that many feet off the ground. How many feet off the ground would you be when you did that? About 20 feet. About 20 feet. <laughs> so it must be quite a ground rush when you, you've got the, the ground effect normally when you're landing and coming in, yeah. but when you've got a rushing just that much above your head, it must be a. It doesn't matter how many times you do it, I suppose, it must still be a real thrill. It's, it's a hell of a thrill. And, uh, bit of a rush, but uh, like I said, you don't look at the ground because it'll just drag you down. So as soon as you pick up on the balloons, just roll on those. But, you, know, yeah, you know, if you sort of calculate it, calculate it and uh, work out all the uh, pros and cons, you can't go wrong, really. Can't go wrong, yeah. yeah. So um, you're not doing the competitions, I think, uh, much these days, are you? But are you doing a lot of display work. You still keeping very busy with that? Yes, I am. I'm giving up uh, competition work. I, but I do displays, a bit of film work occasionally. Yep. Uh, stunt up on the flying side of it. That's about it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And how's the aircraft holding up? Uh, still uh, keeping old maintenance-wise and uh, working well for you? Yeah, it's very good. It still sounds wonderful? Sounds good. It's the only one in Australia. That's a super, super stinker. Pit, yeah, super stinker. It's a pit special, but it's built off a plan. It's not even a, uh, uh, you know, it's not, you, you can't buy any parts for it. You've got to build it from scratch. <laughs> so, yes. so it's not a kit plane. So it's full-time occupation. Full-time occupation. Yeah, sure is. Absolutely. Well, it was a wonderful display out there, Chris, and it's always entertaining to watch you, and it's a thrill to meet you again, mate. Thanks yeah. for spending some time with us. Thanks a lot, Steve. I'm standing here with uh, Flying Officer Richard Morris, uh, Rule at 7. Richard, thanks for spending some time with us. I know you're really busy today. Oh, it's our pleasure. We, uh, we love to get out and about and uh, enjoy the crowd and enjoy the view, so it's, uh, it's our pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Now, there's uh, six Roulettes flying, your Rule at 7. Tell us about your role. My role, uh, I fly the spare aircraft. Right. Also, uh, if I'm lucky, I get to uh, participate in a lot of the, the fly paths that we get to do, like Anzac Day, Australia Day, that kind of stuff. Uh, and obviously, also provide the commentary for when the guys are flying. And uh, also, you know, obviously get to do a lot of this kind of stuff like the interviews and the media yep. um, liaison. So, yeah, it's, it's a great job. So you'll be up there doing the commentary today while the guys are up? That's correct, yep. yep. Now, the rulers are here at Parafield. I hear that they don't come here very often or if at all. So this is a quite a significant event, I believe. Yeah, well, it's... Um it's been quite a while, I think, since Parafield have had an air show. I heard rumours about 1987 was the last one. Right. So, um, but, you know, we... Um, they, they had one uh, last year. Um, they got cancelled, which we were going to come to. So they said, you know, any chance that you can come to come to the event when it's when it's back on again so we're more than happy to do that and uh, yeah we don't get to South Australia as often as we'd like so we take every opportunity we can get to come out and uh, meet yeah. our fans in South Australia Well South Australia is not as big a trip as your last trip you just came back from a uh, tour of Singapore how did that go? That's right uh, yeah it was a fantastic trip uh, it was a long way up and a long way back 8300 miles in total Yeah a lot of stops Yeah 22 fuel stops uh, over 10 days uh, up and back uh, 5 days each yeah. and uh, yeah it was absolutely fantastic the weather was uh very interesting dodging a lot of the thunderstorms up near the equator but um, 
yeah, we had a lot of fun and a really great experience. Now, sitting here in the uh, the PC9, I mean, uh, not an aircraft really built for long transits, I would have thought. I mean, how do you keep yourself comfortable doing a transit like that? Uh, keeping yourself comfortable is pretty much impossible. Uh, there's very limited in-flight services. In fact, there's none. Yeah. Um, so once you strap in, you're pretty much you're locked in uh, until you land again. But uh, like you said, they're not really designed for long transits. So after about two hours, we're pretty much out of fuel. So no leg was more was longer than about two hours. Right. Yeah. And uh, do you fly in formation when you when you do those transits, or just a sort of rough formation? Or do you? We do. It's uh, what we call uh, it's a root formation. So it's like a like a big V that you see sort of migrating birds flying. Right. And uh, so I seven, I'm right up the back, which is good because I get a good view of everyone. But uh, we sit about anywhere between about 500 and a thousand feet um, behind each other. And, uh, but if we have to go into cloud, we'll, we'll close right up. And, uh, and then obviously when we arrive in the airfields, we, um, we, we close right up to the formation that you see in the, the display. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that's always interested me about the roulettes, which I believe is fairly unique to display teams of your calibre, is that you're not all fighter pilots. You all come from all different flying disciplines in the RAF. Is that something that is unique to the, to the roulettes or is it something other display teams do too? It, it is fairly unique uh, to aerobatic uh, aircraft is, yeah, because these are our advanced trainer for students on pilots course. So every pilot in the Air Force has flown the PC-9 before. Um, but even more uniquely is we're all, well, I'm not because uh, I'm sort of the rookie of the team, but uh, one through six, um, they're all qualified flying instructors. So they've gone out, they've taught students how to fly. Then they've gone to the central flying school where the roulettes are located. Um, and they've uh, learned how to teach pilots how to be instructors. So by the time they're picked for the team, they are pretty much the best of the best. They're, they're very experienced and very talented pilots. Yeah. So tell us about selection for, uh, it must be very highly competitive. I mean, if you like you say, you guys are right at the top echelon of instructors. I mean, there must be a lot of competition to get into the team. Well, there is sort of there isn't there isn't because uh, a lot of guys would like to do it, but it's having all the qualifications to get there in the first place is, is quite hard. So these guys uh, have been in for at least ten years. Some have been in for nearly twenty. Um, so by the time you're uh, meet all the requirements to be in the roulettes, um, you know, th- there's not a lot of pilots left. They've all either moved on or doing other things. So um, some of these guys have uh, up to five thousand hours flying experience. So like I said, by the time they finally get to those qualifications. Um, there's not a lot of pilots around with that much flying skill and uh, flying experience, so it is competitive amongst those pilots who have got it. Um, but uh, we all take turns, so we spend about two years in the team before moving on. So we try and let everybody have a go. And uh, rule at one, Steve Baker. It's I believe it's his first season as leader. Is that correct? That's right. He's uh, flown before with the roulettes. Obviously, he's done uh, I think about four or five seasons as uh, roulette two, three, and four, um, and five. Sorry, but uh, yeah, this is his first season as roulette leader. And uh, one of his first jobs was to lead us to Singapore and back. So wow. there's a big learning curve, but he did a great job. And, uh, yeah, he, he's a great leader. He's a great boss and yeah. uh, obviously a fantastic pilot. Yep. And what about your own flying experience? What have you flown outside of the PC-9? I uh, flew uh, the CT-4 for basic flying training, then obviously onto the CT-4. Then after pilot's course, I went to the Super King Air 350. Right. Um, also located at sale. And then uh, my posting there uh, finished, and they asked me if I'd be interested in doing something like this. And, um, you know, I jumped at the opportunity. So, yeah, I was, yeah. I was very lucky to be in the right place at the right time. So you're doing public relations for the roulettes, and we know that the best place uh, these days is to do it in social media and you're on uh, Facebook and uh, also on Twitter. We uh, we always repost a lot of your stuff. So where can people find you online? Yeah, so uh, we've got the, the Roulettes Facebook page. So it's uh, the Royal Australian Air Force Aerobatic Team uh, is sort of the, the name of, of the Facebook page. And we all get on there and write posts and write updates. So, um, you know, if anybody's got any great photos they've taken of today or any event, um, we, like, we always like to see them. And, uh, 
you know, if anybody's got any questions, I often will, will post you know, questions on the page and we try and answer as many of them as we can. So it's, it's a great way for us to stay in contact with the public outside of the air shows. And uh, Parafield, uh, once that winds up, you guys will stay airborne and head back to East Sale or where are you off to after that? Uh, heading home uh, via Mildura for fuel because uh, we don't ha- quite have enough fuel to go uh, all the way back to Sale non-stop. So I'll stop at Mildura for fuel and then and then head home tonight. Absolutely. Richard Morris, I know you're very busy. Thanks for spending some time with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, I'm here with Sergeant Dallas Young and Corporal Dean Donahue. You're uh, the Rulets, uh, part of the Rulets crowd here. That's correct. Thanks yeah. for spending some time with us. So tell us about your role here and uh, what it's like to work here with the RAF on the PC9s. It's been a tremendous job for me. This is actually my fifth year now supporting the PC9s. So the ground crew go wherever the Rulets go to provide the support on the ground, should they have something break, and just to do their standard servicings as well. And it just entails us, you know, speaking to organisers, getting stuff here, getting ourselves here, working out what we're doing, and then getting the show ahead for the crowd. Yeah, getting yourselves here, you don't have the... Uh, uh, the luxury of riding in the PC9s, obviously. No, we don't. So if it's between Adelaide and Sydney, pretty much we drive there, and outside of that, we'll generally fly and pre-position our stuff where we've got to go to. So when you guys just uh, did your trip up to Singapore there, you obviously went up in a, what, in a Hercules? Yeah, we went up in a uh, King Air, so we, uh, we just flew ahead of the uh, PC9s, got there, made sure we could bring him in nice and safely, and uh, if there was any maintenance to be carried out, we, we'd do it on the ground wherever on our uh, trip up to Singapore. And the bulk of our spares went on a Hercules, which went directly. So So what do you carry with you in the way of spares? I mean, there'd be uh, obviously there'd be a lot of maintenance that goes on to keep them in in pristine condition. You wouldn't want them failing, obviously, in a display. So do you have a, I mean, for example, do you have a higher maintenance regime on these aircraft to other aircraft? All the Air Force's assets are very well-serviced and over-serviced, if anything, but that's better safe than sorry. So we just generally take stuff away with us to do something like, say, a strip clearance. If one of them had a blowout on the strip, we wouldn't want the strip to be closed so that we can get out there and quickly get it off, get the strip. Uh, yeah. Breaks, things like that. But, yeah. uh, bigger trips like the Singapore trip, we would take along props, yeah. engines, etc. How do you guys get into uh, coming in to be ground crew? Is that uh, something that's highly sought after within your ranks? Uh, yeah, as a uh, technician, you, you still have to go through the uh, technical school at Wagga, uh, like everyone else. And uh, we've all been and worked on other aircraft. And uh, it's just a matter of uh, putting in to get down there at, uh, at East Sale to work with the Rulets. And if you're lucky enough, you, you, you'll get the position. Yeah. And what sort of a tour? I mean, you said you've been here quite some time. This I mean. is my fifth year. It's supposed to be a three-year tour, but I've dodged and weaved a little to yeah. get myself. I think at the end of this year, my time will be up. You and think I'll there'll be a target on your back? Yeah. 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 But it's been a fantastic five years. But generally, it's a three-year passing for the boys. Well, it's highly, you know, it's very important, isn't it? I mean, we often talk to uh, people outside the flying grades so within the RAF because there's a lot more to uh, the Air Force and to all military flying than just uh, than just flying itself and being a pilot. Exactly, you know? yeah. yeah. The pilot's pretty much the smallest part of the job, really. Like, yeah. to get the aircraft to the stage where they can jump in and do what they do it takes a lot of people and a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. Would you like us to edit that out later or throw the no, pilots no, out here? No, like... they, know, they know the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so whose aircraft is it? Is it your aircraft or their aircraft? Well, as soon as they sign for it, it's theirs. But until that time, it's ours. It's so ours yeah. The majority of the time, it's ours. We just give it to them to go flying, and then they give it back to us at the end. Yeah. Once they sign for the aircraft and accept it, we're not allowed to touch it any longer. It's their aircraft. And until they release it, then we can go there and do some maintenance. Well, it's always a thrill to watch the rule. It's flying. I thank you guys for helping to keep them in the air. It's uh, great to speak to you. No problem. Enjoy the display. Thank you. Standing here on the ramp with Adam Butcher from uh, True Aviators. Adam, thanks for spending some time with us. Oh, pleasure. Thanks for having me along. Well, uh, tell us about your aircraft, the uh, the Yak out there. Sure. Well, the Yak 52 is, uh, is an aircraft we're lucky to use. It's a syndicate-owned aircraft, a uh, consortium of four, but we use it for adventure flights based out of Powerfield in South Australia. Yep. And we take people up for 20, 30 or 40-minute adventure rides. Well, it's good to see you. I mean, there's a lot of these adventure flights that are taking place around. And of course, we, we talk to our friends at Jetride a lot, but uh, we don't see too many aircraft that, uh, you know, of this calibre. 
So um, it's, it's quite unique and it's good to see it happening in South Australia. Yeah, it's really, um, really inspiring to give people a chance to experience uh, aviation on a level they're able to afford as well. Yeah. Like the, um, the jet rides are quite something. Yeah. It's nice to be able to offer a, a competitive, I'd say, I'd say aeroplane. Um, the rides that we take are anywhere from about three or four hundred dollars onwards. But the uh, nice to be able to offer people something they can afford and appreciate what the next level of aviation is as well. Yeah. So tell us about uh, how long you've been doing the how long has the business been running? Uh, this business is very new. We've been running for only two months or so so far. My aviation background commercially runs back to uh, four or five years from now, flying pit specials, Nanchangs, Tiger Moths, and the Yak 52 most recently. Right. So, so aerobatics is in the blood. It kind of is by default. I'd never been hell bent on being an aerobatic pilot, but always particularly love warbirds and yeah. felt that to have an aerobatic rating would be useful. And uh, by chance and yeah, by meeting a lot of lovely people, we had some pretty cool opportunities. There's a certain romance, isn't there, with uh, with warbirds in particular, and we see a lot of uh, you know obviously allied and western powered. Uh, warbirds around the place, but we're seeing a prevalence now of more Russian and Soviet era stuff. It's, it's interesting. How did this aircraft come to be over here? Uh, this one here was brought in by the group of four. I think it had been used by the Russian Aerobatic Club after coming out of DOSAF for the um, Soviet fighter training. Now, I think the advantage of them is that there are some pretty low air frame times. So this one here has only got about two and a half thousand hours on it. Wow. Now, the engine and propeller has only 80 hours on it. So they're coming over almost brand new when you compare it to an equivalent Cessna perhaps at the same age. Yeah. Um, and because the prices of the, the aircraft, especially aircraft like the Yak-9 displaying today, yeah. it's a lot more achievable to get into them. A lot of them around here. And how's yeah. business going? Have you had a lot of uh, you know had a lot of people coming in and enjoying the rides? It's been an interesting one today. Um, this is, in a sense, our first launch day to the public. So we've been um, a little shy at the moment, just getting all our marketing and branding online sorted yeah. out. But we'll have two people flying after the show today. We've taken a few formation rides. We have access to a Nanchang also. Yeah. So we're, we're just growing slowly. But yeah. It's working out nicely. We're happy. Oh, well, tell us about some of them. I'm looking at your brochure here, and you've got all sorts of uh, wonderful packages going. What uh, Submarine Patrol, Fighter Intercept. Tell yeah, us about some of those. We've tried to be quite creative with the naming of them. I think it's very easy just to go along for a Warbird ride, but we've really wanted to appeal to people's sense of imagination and sort of recreating the era perhaps that these aircraft are used in as well. So the Submarine Patrol will take off from Powerfield here, and we fly out low level over the um, docks at Outer, Outer Harbour, and gives a feeling of perhaps what your um, the environment that you're capturing. We then fly out and look for the, um, we've called it the Merchant Navy, but for all the cargo ships out in the, yeah, out in the bay. Yeah. And then because we've got the submarine works nice and close by, we, we really try to touch base on everything that South Australia is becoming more known for. No, it's very topical uh, being here in South Australia because they had Edinburgh, the RAF have the Orions out there, so I guess uh, submarines is very topical for you. That's South correct. Australians, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yep, uh, airspace here is only um, two minutes to Edinburgh, if that. You'd be yeah. lucky to be airborne and, and be in the airspace, so we, we keep well clear, but it's nice to have such a contingent of military aircraft here as well. Well, you say you're setting up your branding and all that sort of stuff, so hit us with your website and all your social media presence. Tell us all about it. Sure. Our website is www.trueaviators.com uh, and there we've got an online shop, we've got a lot of merchandise items, the uh, flights and we're really trying to appeal to the social media too through Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. So uh, we're going live as of today actually, so over the next few days it'll be a good time to keep keep watching all of those things. Absolutely, well uh, we'll keep in touch and we'll put those links in our show notes for this episode and uh, we wish you every success. Oh, thanks very much Steve. Thanks Adam. Thanks, 
Always wanted to be a Top Gun? Looking for the ultimate heart-pumping experience? JetRide gives you that and more. With your personally tailored flight and individual gift pack, JetRide will make your dreams come true. At up to 900 k's an hour in a Soviet-era L-39, this is the jet fighter thrill of a lifetime. Go to jetride.com.au slash PCDU or in Australia call 1-300-554-876. Nothing is impossible. Plan your flight, fly your plan with Oz Runways. Oz Runways turns any iPad or iPhone into a full-featured moving map GPS complete with all the official Australian aviation charts. Oz Runways is Australia's most feature-packed, cost-effective and easy-to-use electronic flight bag complete with AIP, URSA, DAP East and West, flight planning and much more. You can even submit your flight plan direct into NAPES. With annual subscriptions starting at only $74.99, it's the perfect flying companion whether you rent or own your own aircraft. For your free one-month trial, search for Oz Runways EFB in the iTunes store or visit ozrunways.com. Oz Runways, know where you're going. I'm James Williams from Podcasters Emporium and you're listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, now proudly part of the Lifestyle Pod Network. Okay, well, uh, we talk a lot about uh, new media and, uh, you know, particularly to do with aviation. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think we're the only ones in Australia that do it, but that's not true. In fact, there's a fantastic uh, predominantly video outfit that concentrates on uh, aviation in South Australia. And they're at 5DME, 5DME.net. And uh, David Hales is the team leader and he's here with me now. David, uh, boy, what a day we've had here. Oh, yes, it's been really busy. Run off our feet. Tell us about 5DME and uh, what you guys do and how it started. Right, well, I'm a web designer by trade and uh, we host commercial websites. In 2008 I decided to uh, merge my web design hobby uh, with my interest in aviation and create a site that covered everybody in aviation, not just the aircraft, not just the pilots, the crews, the airfields, the whole works. That's so important isn't it? A lot of people think just pilots but it's not just pilots, there's so many other things you can do in aviation. That's right. uh, many people that we contacted originally were very surprised that there was somebody out there that was actually interested in what they do and uh, they were very forthcoming with us uh, uh, doing our original interviews like uh, our first interview was with the Bureau of Meteorology uh, down at West Beach uh, we went in there and just uh, said to the chief meteorologist and uh, he, he just said, oh, wow, there's somebody that's actually interested in what you do. So he took a couple of my crew for a tour of the facility and we got shown every instrument in the place from the weather balloon launch to the tipping rain gauge. Wow. And it just went from there and uh, uh, just contacted various people. Uh, we would like to come and talk to you. And telling you, you talk about your team. Tell us about your team you've got. I mean, I'm, we're sitting here in the lee of your trailer, which is uh, very impressive. It's uh, got all sorts of uh, gear in it and uh, quite large. So you obviously are set up to get around and, and do video at multiple places. But tell us about your team. Right. Well, originally uh, uh, a chap named Rob uh, had a small aviation website that he maintained himself. When he found out what I was doing, uh, he helped me out get 5DME going by merging his data that he had on his side. Um, then Dave Wilkie come along in 2009-10 and uh, he, he's virtually taken the place of assistant team leader and helps organise all the, all the shows. Uh, the rest of it's just basically a family affair uh, with uh, Graham Wilkie, that's uh, David's dad, and uh, my wife and daughter. And right. we run the whole show, we've kept it a neat, tidy, small professional outfit and people have got to know us six 
uh, when they're dealing with us. And you're doing the same thing. I'm sitting here in my uh, plain crazy shirt, and I see you've got all the corporate imaging going. I mean, that's that's a lot of people don't understand new media, do they? But it's very important that we get out there and, and present professionally. And I think that's part of you know getting being successful in this game. That's right. No, I so, said you know, people around see us uh, go by, and they recognise us straight away. Yeah. Um, Without the corporate imaging, they just you know who is that? Yeah. And with security the way it is these days, uh, it pays to to have those core known group of people and the imaging to go with it, so that when any uh, security people see you on the airfields, uh, they just know you straight away, and there's not no problem. Now, it's no accident that you're doing video. I mean, you say you're a web designer, but you've had a little bit to do with uh, video and television in the past. Is that right? Yes, I was in commercial television for 35 years uh, with Channel 7 as a freelancer. I used to uh, do the lighting for shows like Wheel of Fortune, Book Place, The News, Today, Tonight. Uh, Plenty of outside broadcasts to go with that, like the Tui's Triathlon, the footy, uh, you name it. So I've been about a bit and uh, brought these skills into 5DME. Yeah, so um, editing obviously is uh, not not so much a challenge for you. I know I've tried a lot of video editing. If we didn't have Steve Pam doing video editing for us, we wouldn't have any video, to be honest with you. But uh, there's so many tools around that are so inexpensive now that it makes this stuff a lot easier than, let's say, 20 years ago. That's right, yeah, yeah. Like uh, in the studio when we're at 7, I said I was lighting, but of course you get an interest in everything else and you watch all the other guys using the vision switches and the audio desks and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, And, uh, you know, when nobody's around, you sort of uh, get in there and have a go yourself. And it's really uh, uh, a good experience because then, of course, when you go back to editing stuff for the aviation, uh, all the skills are there. When you uh, record shows, I mean, do you put shows out on a regular release schedule or as they come? I know you guys have done a lot of promotional work here for the Parafield Air Show, which has been great, but outside of that, do you have a regular release schedule for shows? Uh, For aviation shows, not at this stage. We are actually planning an aviation show that's going to go to air once a month. We're building a studio for that now in a six-metre by six-metre garage. Wow. Uh, So so once that gets up and running, uh, there will be a regular um, web broadcast. Uh, At the moment, as soon as we hear about anything, we're on to it, and and it's just... uh, what would you call ad hoc as soon as we hear it we do it we go yeah that sounds fascinating i'll have to get back over and have a look at that when you've done it yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's going to be quite an effort because um, the the studio that we're building has not only got to do the 5dme uh, show whatever we call that but uh, we've got a, a another arm to my web design outfit that does corporate videos so it's going to have to be a multi-use uh, studio Fascinating, fascinating. I tell you what, having been across and seen people like Leo Laporte in his studio, I mean, it's just, it's amazing what we can do these days. It just fascinates me. Getting back to aviation, I mean, tell me about the aviation scene here in South Australia. It seems pretty vibrant. Uh, with what we've seen today, it is. There's everybody everywhere. It's hard to keep track of them all. Yeah. Um, like between uh, uh, Jamestown, Barossa, uh, Parafield air shows, and now I think next month we've got coming up the uh, aerobatics championships at Murray Bridge. Uh, there's always something going on. Uh, Chris Baru's always around. The roulettes seem to be here fairly regularly. It, it's been quite a year. Yeah. The last eight months has been virtually non-stop. Well, I think it's fantastic what you're doing and, and focusing on this one state. I mean, we're very conscious of the fact at PCDU that we're Melbourne-based and we try not to be too Melbourne-centric, but it's, it's great to see you guys out there 
promoting stuff that's going on in South Australia and I hope that uh, we can stay in contact with you guys and, and cross-promote our work between us and, yeah, and get the word out there. That's what it's all about, yeah, isn't it? Yep, it, it is. And, uh, you know, with the with the sharing arrangement between the different uh, organisations in different states like you guys over there and us here, um, if there's anything that needs doing and, uh, you know, there's nobody here from your outfit or nobody there from ours, it's, it just makes it easy to have somebody you know that's in a similar line of work that can help you out. Yep, and it's all about promoting Australian aviation and, in our case, Australia and New Zealand. We try and promote both. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's what we're here to do. So, uh, I, you know, I'm glad to have finally found someone else that's doing it. Turns out you've been doing it longer than us, which is even better. So. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's been an interesting curve. Interesting curve. I'll say uh, sometimes when you're knocking on doors to start with, it's uh, it's there's that resistance. Yes, um, we've come across that ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, as I said, as people get to know your outfit, and as long as you do it professionally and you go through all the right hoops, um, you, you should be able to do it well. Yeah. Well, of course, we talk about uh, all new age promotion and all that sort of stuff, and social media is where it's at. Where do we find you online? www.5dme.net and you can either spell the word five or use the number five. It works either way. There you go. What about Facebook and Twitter? Uh, that, that, you, most of that is all over the place. Uh, Facebook, again, is 5DME, and there's an also a little side one we run for the South Australian Aviation Enthusiast called Adelaide Aviation Enthusiast. And, uh, yeah, it just just look them up when you're online. Absolutely. Well, uh, 5DME.net is where to find it. David Hales, the team leader, thanks for spending some time, and thanks for looking after me today. I appreciate oh, you're it. You're very welcome. Tammy Augustine, we spoke to you uh, just before the air show in the last episode, or a couple of episodes back now actually, but uh, you know it seems like a successful day here, but uh, you've got some other activities that you're involved with, and namely the Women Pilots Association, which we only discovered at the end of the last interview. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's correct. Um, I'm actually currently the President of the Women's Pilots Association for Northern Territory and South Australia, and I've held this position for the last 12 months. Previous to that, in the last two years, I held the position of Vice President. So um, we're a very, very active um, branch over here in South Australia. We hold at least four fly-ins a year. Well, we technically call them fly-ins, but, you know, we have the barbecue and we all fly in. Um, we always seem to have a lot of men attend these barbecues for some reason. I don't know. I think I think we get known for putting on a pretty pretty good spread. I, I, I can tell you why that is. That's, that's why I go. I love the AWBA uh, barbecues because it's organised by women who can actually cook. Instead of <laughs> you go to a normal fly-ins organised by men and you get a burnt, burnt snag on a slice of bread and that's about it. You see, so, Bez's, Bez's understanding of Australian culture is developing well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you know, it, it certainly is something we're, we're pretty renowned for and we do get great attendance to our events. Um, we have a few coming up. We, we generally use local airfields, which is... Um, you know, really good to support the local guys as well, and they love it. They love having us there. Uh, it also helps raise money for our scholarships. So, um, as you know, we are a volunteer organisation. We all donate our time, and we have a number of scholarships available to um, females pursuing careers in aviation. And all of this money is raised by our members. So it's all done through donations and voluntary coordination. So we we are holding our um, well, it's actually biannual Dime with the Aviators dinner where I've secured John Baghetti as our guest speaker. He is the CEO of Virgin Australia. And um, John will be coming to uh, do a basically speech that night and spending some time with us, taking questions from people, hoping to get a really good attendance. Uh, this uh, Dime with the Aviators dinner is always on for us for um, raising money for our uh, South Australian Memorial Scholarship Fund that we uh, donate to every year to a member of our branch who is um, basically on any 
endeavour as far as aviation goes. So uh, anyone in the branch can apply for it. And um, it, it depends, you know, how much money we raise as to how much we can give them. So we really like to get good numbers to these events. When we were over in the States, we spoke to a lot of the advocacy groups there for women, the 99s and Women for Aviation. The Americans do that really, really well, but uh, I mean, you take a lot of cues from the way they do things there and add a local touch to it. It's very important that we have these sort of groups yeah, around. Yeah, absolutely. We're actually, we, we do work with the 99s. We have some of their scholarships on our, our Australian uh, website as well, and we're always very actively involved with um, members. We have a number of our members that are actually members of the 99s as well. So, you know, we do work really, we have, um, they have international conferences and so forth as well and a lot of our members do attend so it's not something um, we don't have big support for that here in South Australia we don't have a big contingency I should say not support but um, we certainly are, do have a lot of involvement with them for sure You've had a uh, marquee set up here at Parafield today um, have you had a lot of traffic through there been happy with the way that's it's gone? It's very very popular we do the um, sunscreen for free at every air show and um, that's something we've done well Nancy Bird actually started that so when you attend an air show if you see an AWPA stand normally you'll find free sunscreen and we do I mean most people do give us a donation of a gold coin and that all goes towards our scholarships as well but um, usually very popular we go through usually anywhere up to two to five litres of sunscreen yep. and today has been pretty much on par with that as well be very handy. In fact, uh, as my wife can attest, the last air show I went to, I got incredibly sunburned, so I've made great use of the free sunscreen yeah, today. It's been yeah, much appreciated. We, we do get a really good response from the free sunscreen, and um, we do have a little bit of merchandise on sale as well, but generally um, we're focusing on getting donations for our scholarships. Yeah. Tell us about the event coming up over in Bunbury. Yes, the um, National Conference, very exciting. We're all heading over to Bunbury in April, and we will have, um, we generally run a four-day event. Um, including in that we have NAV trials and competitions and that within our AWPA members. Um, we also have our national AGM and um, also the opportunity to have guest speakers and, and so forth as well. We have multiple dinners and uh, I know Baz is pointing there because I know he's, he's coming to, to spend some time with us. Um, so yeah, it's always a great, we do a conference once a year and each state uh, it rotates around. So from state to state. The last one we did was a couple of years ago and we did at Port Lincoln but I think when it comes out to them next time around we're going to do it a little bit more locally. So yeah, we've been invited with those runways to uh, come and uh, present our, uh, our talk that we've been doing at a, at a few uh, aero clubs and, and other venues so far um, and we're going to have a, a small stand there where we can demonstrate the product and that's going to be uh, basically from the 18th to the 21st of April and on the 18th as well before I drive down to Bunbury, we're actually, uh, of course, I'm flying into Perth, and we'll, on the 18th we'll be doing a talk at the Royal Aero Club, so if you're around in uh, WA, uh, check our website um, at osrunways.com, and we've got all the dates and all the details in there, and, and you know, come and see us. And of course, if you're around Bunbury, uh, you know, pop into the uh, Lord Forest Hotel. Yeah, you'll find all the girls there. And, and, <laughs> and, 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 and this boy will be there as well, <laughs> with Os Runways. We think Mrs. Baz will be there too, so you'll be able to have to behave yourself. Uh, no, I'm, I'm going on my own. Mrs. Baz, unfortunately, has to uh, stay home and look after the kids. Right, Tammy, well, we'll rely on you to keep Baz in check. Absolutely. Okay, well, uh, Tammy, it's been a great day here at Parafield today. Congratulations on a, on a great effort. I know it's taken a lot of work, and uh, congratulations for all the work you do with the Australian Member Pilots Association. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for attending. 
We're standing here with uh, Channel 9 uh, Adelaide weatherman Brenton Raglis and airshow commentary extraordinaire Brenton. Thanks for spending <laughs> some time with us and how did it go? Oh, look, my pleasure being with you. Actually, first time that I've ever been a commentator for an air show. Uh, done, co- done commentary for all sorts of events, but the first time for an air show. And look, I, I don't know anything about the, the technical side of things. Um, just basically always uh, enjoyed aviation. I grew up, Dad was the radar technician at Adelaide Airport, so uh, during school years I'd take my homework down by the uh, the airport and just sit by the runway and do my homework. Actually got very little done. And, uh, <laughs> and that's, I think, where it all started. And ever since there, I've always sort of just been... You know, an admirer of aircraft watching from the side and just seeing them take off. And, and I think that's what this has been all about today. It's just a, a great opportunity. Uh, we South Australians love our air shows. They are few and far between. Yep. Uh, but when they're put on, they uh, never fail to disappoint. And today, you know, we were really blessed with the weather. Uh, had nothing to do with that, but we had some heavy rain during the week. So <laughs> Here's what, your chance to take credit for yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't do that. But it, it was touch and go there during the week. We wondered if the rain would hang around. But, you know, today we've just had light southerlies and it's... Uh, picked up a bit this afternoon but overall you know it's been a fine day and, and great weather for flying but you know the, the crowd today uh, a really good strong crowd we're hoping to do this every couple of years and so uh, very much in the future hoping that uh, you know as, as it builds momentum uh, that we'll have more aircraft both uh, in static and, and flying displays as well uh, but no it's been a real privilege to be a part of it. Did you do the whole stint up there? I mean we've been around and about today did you do the whole stint up there today it's been what four or five hours up there of uh, non-stop talking? Yeah well actually See, it doesn't feel like that. I mean, it probably was a fairly long time. We started flying probably about 11 and so finished only a short time ago. So, yeah, good four hours there. And, um, no, I think, you know, it's like anything when you uh, are passionate about something. It's hard to keep us uh, from, from, you know, stop talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> and the beautiful thing is today, it hasn't just been us as commentators. Nearly every uh, performance or um, aircraft that's been up in the air, there's been someone who's been able to talk specifically about that aircraft. So the roulettes, they had uh, Richard come in and, and um, t- tell us and talk us through their presentation. And the same with nearly all the other aircraft. There was either a friend or family member that was able to talk us through what we're seeing. So it becomes a bit more of a, a Q&A and... Uh, I like to sort of think it's just as if we're sitting down in a land room uh, talking amongst ourselves about what we're seeing here. And, um, you know, as I say, I'm not, a, I'm not a tech head, so I don't really know some of the specifications of the aircraft. And let's face it, you know, if you sort of think about an air show, there would be a, a number of people that would, but most people don't. They're there to, to, to witness something special on the sky. They don't necessarily need to know the specific details of it. They just want to know maybe some of the basic information. So hopefully we're able to, uh, you know, come in from layman's terms and maybe uh, simplify it a little bit. And, and uh, no, I think it's just been a great day. More than anything else, it's about promoting the value of, the, of an airport like this, a big GA airport in a capital city, and its importance to the community and, and the, the economy and all that sort of stuff, isn't it? Yeah, we're really lucky here in uh, Adelaide and South Australia. I mean, of course, Adelaide Airport, only 10 minutes out of the city. It's a brand-new airport. Uh, one of the best, uh, I reckon, in the country. And then Parafield, really only 20 minutes out of the city. And um, I think it's underestimated, really, just the, the, the value of this airport and all the, the stuff that goes on here, all the flight training that's done here for some big international uh, airlines. They train out of here, and, uh, yeah, I, I think we're really lucky to have an airport like this, and you're right, I think it's just uh, for, for the airport to open up its doors and say, hey, look, let's put on an air show and uh, you come and enjoy yourselves. Uh, I don't know, it's just one of those simple joys that just doesn't happen often enough. Yeah. And, uh, you know, being a kid, I remember growing up going to air shows and even Chris Peru, one of the acts today, I, 
uh, I only met him for the first time, you know, and, and uh, I said to him, I remember seeing you when I was probably no more than five, six years old, and he was performing at this uh, festival not far from home. And to see him still doing what he was uh, doing back then as a kid and to meet him after, oh, yeah. you know, 30 years, uh, that I think was a real honour too. So I, I was really thrilled to be able to meet Chris and Warren, uh, Warren Stewart, Chris Brew, the Rulettes. Uh, I was really really impressed actually with the roulettes today uh i mean i've seen them perform from the air when they're in the air and from the ground so the sort of thing before but what really impressed me today was just the way that they chose to come here to parafield they could have chosen to uh place themselves at edinburgh and be removed and just do their thing but they didn't do that they said no we'll, we'll fly into parafield they've been here since last night and they're not only that they set up a, a big table they all sat down we had a, a long line of people for well over an hour people lining up to grab posters with their autographs and and, and free stuff from the uh defense force there the air force and um so I was just really thrilled with the presence that they gave us and uh, gosh, if, if, if today's a sign of things to come, we'll and, uh, watch out, a lot of things to look forward to. Yeah, you were saying it's, it's great uh, to see this for the airport and one of the greatest things I found actually this time around is that if you only went back maybe three years ago, the same mayor of Salisbury was saying things like, it's time for Perifield to go and we need housing there. And she's actually turned around and, and the Salisbury Council has been really supportive of the air show by all accounts and that's great to hear that if you, you can actually if you tell people what happens here if you put the numbers out there how much employment and and what it gives to the community uh, people understand it and you can even uh, even turn the the opinion of the local government around so I'm sure that uh, a lot of people who live around here will will realize after these events there's a lot going on here and it was good to see uh, some of the schools here uh, with their stands out and and telling people what they do and uh, give people a really good a feel for what happens here. Well, Brendan, it's, you did a fantastic job of there today, mate. It was, <laughs> Thank you, mate. You know, sometimes you don't always hear the commentary, but it's good to hear it in the background. And, and you know, the other good thing about it is you guys stopped a few times and just let people absorb the noise of the air yeah. show, which I think is uh, you know, sometimes doesn't get done at air shows. So it's, it's no, good I to have that break, yeah. let people soak up the atmosphere and still have a bit of commentary. So yeah, you did a great job, mate. Oh, thank you, mate. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you there. I think. Uh, the sound is something that we don't often think about, but it's, it forms part of the picture. It engages the senses in another way that we uh, underestimate. And, uh, you know, some of the warbirds, the sounds that they have here today is just beautiful, you know. Yeah, one, <laughs> one aircraft, one, one piston aircraft can be louder than six roulettes put together. It's, uh, yeah, it it's is. amazing. Yeah, that that is amazing. In it's, a way, a very, it's a very graceful display from the roulettes, and it's beautiful to see, but just from the noise uh, audio experience, it's uh, Chris Baru and the Super Stink or the P-51 is just awesome. And the way it, you know, fortunately it echoes on the hangars here, it even sort yeah. of adds to the effect. Yeah. But, you know, I agree. I think uh, uh, people would question me saying this, but it's music to uh, certainly the ears of enthusiasts uh, yeah. <laughs> who enjoy this. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, Brennan, we can catch you on Channel 9 on Adelaide. Yeah, that's Enjoy right. the weather on the news. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, hopefully get some good flying weather out there. Absolutely. <laughs> good on you guys. Well Thanks done. very much for speaking to us, mate. Well, Baz, we're standing here on the ramp at the end of the day. It's been a busy one, mate, but uh, I think they've had a pretty successful go here at uh, Parafield. It's been a few years since they've done one, and um, I think they've done pretty well. It's awesome. Yeah, just a few years ago when they had the uh, Parafield Air Spectacular, it wasn't a full air show because uh, they couldn't. It was also on the other side of the airfield, uh, on the eastern side, whereas now it's on the southern ramp, uh, which, of course, is a lot bigger, and it's much closer to the runway. So last time they had a, a few displays. You know, Chris Peru was there. There were a few other displays. But so many more displays this time round, uh, much bigger, uh, much closer to the show line, which ran on, on 2.6, which is where we're really close to here. 
and uh, I think a much bigger crowd. I'm looking forward to hear from John uh, to see what the numbers were. Uh, but I think I they had several success. thousand here. Yeah, I reckon they had several thousand here. It was a little bit quiet to start with, but uh, once the displays came, uh, started uh, cranking up, I think the crowds and the weather cleared too, which was great. And um, you know, it's it's been quite a good day. Probably the only thing that was missing here today, Baz, uh, I guess, which is a little bit disappointing, was they couldn't run the jets. I know uh, Mark Prosky was going to bring the L39 across, but they couldn't get approval from CASA to do that. So I don't know how they're going to work around that problem. Uh, apparently, uh, CASA would allow them to do low-level passes in the jet, but uh, no aerobatic manoeuvres. So. I don't know how they're going to get around that, but uh, where there's a will, there's a way, I suppose. I think there is. Uh, last time, uh, when they just had the Air Spectacular, they had even less clearances than they have now. And that was the biggest, by far, a few years ago that they've done so far in the, in the history of this. And uh, then, after doing that, they had probably more bargaining power with CASA and Air Services, uh, because it showed that people really want this. And I think this time they've showed that even more so that people appreciate like this full display and hopefully next time when they go back to sitting around the table with Casa and Air Services they can they can get even more and uh, I think they deserve it it's a, it's a great location for it yeah and uh, I'm, I'm sure the uh, the guys who fly the Qantas and uh, other jets in here wouldn't mind uh, taking a little detour to make some more space for them next time around no, I'm sure they wouldn't mind and I'm sure our friends at uh, Air Services Australia could accommodate that we'll just put a hint in there well, Baz, uh, this trip was made possible through Oz Runways. Your company, mate, really appreciate the uh, support you gave us to get over here. Yeah, no, you're more than welcome. Uh, we're, we're, you know, we love uh, supporting supporting this and uh, getting as many people out there knowing about Oz Runways, which has gone fantastic, and uh, in no small amount to uh, internet media and uh, word of mouth. So this is a great way uh, to, uh, to get people to know about it. Thanks again, mate. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, this is Leo Laporte of This Week in Tech, and whenever I'm down under, I go plain crazy with the Plain Crazy Down Under podcast. Whether you're buying or selling a light single-engine aircraft or a corporate jet, do it faster and easier with aviationadvertiser.com.au. Aviationadvertiser.com.au is Australia's largest aviation marketplace. As the country's largest source of aircraft classifieds, you'll find hundreds of new and used aircraft of all types online 24 hours a day. With ads from just $39 and the convenience of buying and selling online, it's easy and affordable. Connect with Australia's largest buy and sell aviation community at aviation.com.au. Is your company in the aviation industry? Advertising your business on our podcasts is an easy and inexpensive way of reaching the growing online aviation community. Whether a conversational infomercial or radio style ad, we can produce advertisements tailored to your target market and budget. We can also use your own pre-produced commercial. With an audience of pilots, professionals and enthusiasts across the Asia-Pacific region and growing around the world through increasing cross-promotion with other online media, this is a great alternative to traditional advertising. For further information, simply go to our website, www.playingcrazydownunder.com and click on the Advertising With Us link. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. TheVoicesInYourHead.com Welcome to From Up Here to Down There. Or is it? Down There to Up Here. Anyway, I'm Peter Johnson 
and this is my segment with a European perspective. A while ago, a listener saw a really interesting piece of information about a cross-country gliding flight and asked us to look into it. It turned out to be a 1,000km cross-country flight. That flight was undertaken by a European pilot flying in Australia. And today, we're joined by Peter Sesco, a director and CFI with Fly Down Under, to find out a little bit more. Peter, welcome to Plane Crazy Down Under. Thank you, Peter. Um, Peter, let's start off by finding out a little bit more about your flying career. It's quite an impressive one. Well, I've always wanted to fly, as most aviators have, I suppose. And when I, I joined the Air Force at age 16, and I was sitting in an Air Force base in 1969 and saw a glider go past and said, that's for me. I've been gliding ever since, two and a half thousand odd gliding hours. I've been the chief flying instructor of four clubs. I ran the operations in South Australia and Northern Territory, and then I was in charge of operations in Australia for a short period of time as chairman of the operations panel. And I had some airworthiness tickets, and I, I had my own glider, or a share of my own glider, a 304 plus Blue Eagle 304, and I just love cross-country flying. I'm obviously an instructor, and, and I have a lot of fun doing it. So where does Fly Down Under come into things, and how did this come about? Okay, a couple of years ago, uh, two German people, Conrad and Edeltraud, his wife, came out to Australia to have a bit of a holiday, and they were they were both pilots, ultralight pilots, and wanted to do a bit of gliding. I happened to be gliding at the Adelaide Soaring Club at Gawler at the time, and they decided to stay in the Barossa Valley because it was such a nice, pleasant area to stay. And they did a bit of gliding. We did some little cross-country flights amongst our training, because that's what we do. And they got hooked by it. They went away for about a week and then they came straight back. He said, this is great, we want to do some more of this, which surprised <laughs> them. And, and then suddenly they were there a lot and Conrad said to me, I want to set up a gliding club so European pilots can come out and fly across country. And two years later, we now have a site at Stonefield. We have a hangar that will house 24 gliders and we're, we're working on being able to store another 24 upstairs in it. And last year, the last season, was our trial season. And we right. didn't do too badly. Okay. And so what sorts of holidays do you organise for pilots coming down to Australia? Well, what we, we don't organise them as such. What we do is we, we have some bed and breakfast places organised and some local hotels uh, so that people who come through us will get slightly cheaper rates than they get even on the net. Right, okay. And, and, and we organise the flying side of it and the intent is that they, people bring their families out and when they're flying, the families, because the Barossa is quite a nice place to be and it's close to everything in South Australia, they can wander around, have a good family time while whoever the pilot is in the family is out flying. And then they can take a day off and go to perhaps Wilpena Pound, which is quite famous, or Kangaroo Island again, which is quite famous, and it's within a day. So, Peter, do people coming down to fly with you, do they rent the aircraft on an hourly basis or daily, weekly basis? Well, that's a good question, and we thought long and hard about the best way to do that. So we we charge people about €35 Euro for a launch on our winch, but that's if they have, have to have two launches to get away, for example, that's okay. It's just the daily rate for a launch. Yeah. And then they, then they pay, depending on the aircraft, something between 170 and 230 euro a day. So it's a daily rate. We, that way we believe people can, uh, can know how much 
money they're spending and they don't have to worry about it just adding up and up and up and up and they can they can budget that way yeah that's they're reasonable pro, reasonable prices as well we do have sorry i should have mentioned we have a 24 euro cost on top of that for the local airfield and that, that, that goes to just maintaining the airfield yeah as well but again in my experience, and I'm uh, I'm not a glider pilot, but uh, in my experience, those prices are pretty reasonable. Not being a glider pilot, what sort of aircraft types uh, you fly in, and what sorts of people are your products really focused on? Okay, the the, the main aim of our whole organisation is cross country flying. That's flying just, which is where you started from a thousand kilometres. Right. Four one thousand kilometre flights this year. Wow! And we're pretty proud of that, given that we've only had eleven people flying out of our site. Yeah. And we've we've averaged about average flights of five hundred plus kilometres, and, and I think we've done sixty two flights so far this year. Yeah. And 12, 12 of those have been over seven hundred kilometres. Fairly, fairly impressive. Yeah. The, that site, the site we've chosen is is uh, is in 12,500 foot airspace, and to go north and east is absolutely superb and relatively easy. The yep. outlanding situations are good, and Australia is different to Europe. There are no mountains. We have some hills nearby, which work very well, Yeah, but by European standards, they really are only just hills. So what types of aircraft uh, are you actually using at the school? Okay, well, at the moment, what we've got, we've got a Marianne, and that's mainly used for check buying people and giving them an area perspective about what it's at. Yeah. We have yeah. A, a Nimbus 4DM, which is where most of our longer flights are in. We have a Stan LaBelle, which is has done 770K recently. And we have uh, a Super Demona, which is a glider and a glider towing aircraft as well. And uh, on that basis, um, do you have options for launching? Do you use winches, tugs, self-propelled, or all, all of the above? We right. have a 300 horsepower tossed winch that we brought in from Germany, and that works preferably giving us 2,000 feet over the ground launches most days. Yeah, we have a Super Demona towing aircraft or towing, and it has a retractable capability, so it's also a glider if we need it to be, and we'll have an Aramaki uh, 160 towing aircraft next year. That's in the rounds of being CASA approved at the moment. Right. And uh, we also have uh, the Nimbus 40M, for example, it's a self-launcher. Yeah. And and we hire local aircraft and German aircraft uh, over the season as the needs dictate. And your season starts and ends when? Okay, our season is targeted around European pilots, and so it starts on effectively the 1st of November and finishes by the end of February, early March, because when we bring uh, aircraft from Europe, they need to be back for the summer season in Europe. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I understand, understand. And um, is it mainly European glider clients you're flying, or is this something that um, local people can be involved in? Well, it's mainly targeted at Europeans because we really only effectively operate full-time between November and February. Yeah. But we're, we're not excluding Australians by any means. It's just that suppose we're not out to undermine any clubs and take their members. Yeah. All we're doing is giving a, a launch capability. So if local, local 
pilots want to fly and their their clubs aren't operating during the week, for example, they're welcome to come and fly with us, and and we we would encourage them to. But we're about getting getting pilots flying cross country, and and hopefully long cross country flights. And a lot of those come during the week when people are normally working. And um, we've seen some spectacular flights on your Facebook page, and you've already mentioned some of the durations. What would a typical flight, what would a typical daily flight evolve? Okay, well, what, what would normally happen is that the aircraft, the pilot would have, uh, we'd have a, a briefing of what the weather's going to be like, yeah. what the airspace yeah. is. There is some airspace out to the south and east of us and west of us that we need to be careful of, as everybody's got these days, I know. We'd have a bit of a briefing, then we would uh, all decide the sort of task we're going to do, being OLC tasks uh, largely. It tends to look at where the winds are and all that sort of thing, as every glider pilot would know. And then we would go out at about 10.30 or so, hop on the winch and go for a launch into, up to about 2,000 feet, hop into a thermal and then start off in the direction we wanted. About eight or nine hours later, come back having done 1,000K with a big smile on our face. Yeah. That's not, 1,000 <laughs> isn't typical. More like seven or 800 is pretty typical, I guess. That is quite amazing, though. I know uh, I'm sitting in Europe here looking at uh, European airspace. It's just astounding to think of flights and what sounds like the ease of flying in that airspace. Australia is relatively undeveloped uh, because a lot of the land is undevelopable. There's a lot of large desert tracks and that sort of thing. People have to be a little bit careful and, and we thoroughly brief our pilots and, and help them make sure they hydrate that. Uh, there are some areas outside of a long way away from civilization where it'll take a bit of time to get you if you do outland. We have to be ready for that. We use spots with everybody and we know where they are. And, and that's again, the technology is just amazing that we can know where people are and, and be able to help them that way. And is that how you produce some of the tracking images that uh, we can see on your website and on the Facebook page? Uh, no, the tracking images come from special recording devices that are authorised by the, uh, the World Gliding Body and they have to be these special recorders and they download into a special format and they will show you the heights, the directions. Every second they record where you are and they're not. They can't send it out to a site. When you when you land, you have to download it onto a computer. Right. Okay. But it's fascinating to be able to go over. And I've just bought one myself for my glider. And I went flying the other day. Downloaded it within about a minute of having landed into my computer, and I could see exactly what I'd done. Every part of the flight. It's magnificent for improving it. Really impressive results. And and Peter, what sort of qualifications do pilots need to come and fly with you? Australia has a, is is very much like England in that we have our own. We don't have a licensing system as such. We have a, a system that's once we've proven you can do certain things, you're allowed to do that. And we do require. We're aiming at cross-country pilots, so we're we're looking for the experience levels that can give us a confidence that when they when the pilots get here, that we will be able to, with a minimum of fuss, be able to convert them or allow them to fly the aircraft safely in the air, airspace that we're in. So we're we're not looking. We're, our minimum sort of hours at gliding is is roughly about 200. We do do others. We've had a couple of children of one of the pilots who was with us uh, who were pre-solo. When I say children, they were 20 or 22. Yeah, sure. Both pre-solo and while Dad was out flying, 
we did some flying training with them, but they can't go back to, in that case, Germany. Even though we sold them, they, they have to go through the license of the country they come from. This is really fascinating stuff, Peter, a real flying holiday, if I ever heard one. Um, where can we find out a little bit more about Fly Down Under? Well, we've got the website, and that's www.flydownunder.com. Okay, Peter, thank you very much for coming on to Plane Crazy Down Under. No problems. Thank you, Peter. I hope you enjoyed our view from up here to down there, or is it from down there to up here? Anyway, my name's Peter Johnson, and if you really like the segment, then like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash xtpmedia. And if you're crazy enough to want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Nascot Hornet. And thank you, Peter Johnson. Another fantastic segment there. And thanks to our listener for uh, sending in the suggestion for that, Grant. Uh, actually, I think Peter needs to look at a corrective map over the world, Grant. I think it's from down there to up here. Yeah, mate, I don't know. It's over there to around here. It's just when you, when, it depends on if you're using a Mercator projection or a globe or it just gets all confusing, mate. Jeez, what did you do? Swallow a thesaurus for breakfast this morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just looked at uh, world flights. But anyhow. <laughs> yeah, really interesting. And, uh, you know, Peter Sesco, I've heard that name around the local aviation scene before. So we, we, we ought to, we ought to keep, an, keep an eye on that. I, I'm sure he's uh, very well known. Well, he's been in the RAF, uh, according to his bio here on LinkedIn, actually, he's been in the RAF for 18 years. So he's probably done the odd air show here and there, I'd say, as well. Mm-hmm. May have, may have. You may have. If people want to have a look at that, and particularly for our European listeners, it's uh, www.fly-down-under.com, and we'll put links to that in the show notes. Sounds uh, fascinating and uh, very topical, Grant, because it all takes place over there in South Australia. Yeah, that's very topical, mate, keeping with the theme of the show. But, mate, something else that's uh, pretty topical at the moment is this whole new EASA regulations that are going on in Europe, and um, it might have a bit of an impact on European pilots training outside of Europe, won't it? It could potentially do that. That I think uh, EASA is looking at making some changes. In fact, uh, I think it's uh, pretty much a fading plea now that it's coming in this year where if you're a uh, pilot from Europe, for example, who chooses to go outside that zone and go to somewhere else in, uh, to do your pilot training, and I'm, I'm thinking mostly of the United States with uh, you know Part 141 schools, for example, but uh, you do see a lot of European pilots coming here to Australia and across to New Zealand uh, looking to save a bit of money from, you know, if you think it's expensive flying here, I, I shudder to think what it would cost to fly a lot aircraft in Europe. <laughs> um, but now it's looking now like... Uh, uh, you know where you would go over and do a, a relatively painless and relatively inexpensive conversion to get your uh, your European uh, pilot certificate, whatever they call it over there. It's looking now like, in fact, they won't recognise your licence at all. Uh, at least that's the way I read it from listening to a recent uh, AvWeb podcast. Uh, and I'd, I'd certainly recommend that people get across to AvWeb and have a listen to that podcast where they discuss that issue. But uh, we've actually suggested to Peter that uh, that might be a, a topic that he might like to follow up on. Uh, because I, I tell you what, Grant, um, there's a lot of, in fact, I th- at the moment I'd say in Australia, and I'm thinking probably to a certain extent to New Zealand, uh, a lot of the flying schools here, it's it's an absolute financial bedrock for them at the moment. Uh, All these pilots coming from India, from Asia, and from Europe uh, doing their training over here. I would hazard a guess, and I've thought this for a long time, that you know, if uh, a lot of those um, airlines from those uh, faraway lands decided to set up their own training schemes in their own countries, um, it would be devastating for a lot of flying schools here. I know particularly in Melbourne it would be the case, and I'm sure it's the case in other parts around the region. So to what extent that might have an effect uh, with regard to European pilots, I, you know, I, I don't know whether uh, some of the schools might be just keeping a bit of a nervous eye on that. Yeah, mate, I think that's a really uh, 
uh, interesting topic, and it'd be great if Peter's able to find uh, someone over there who's able to talk to us on the uh, on the subject about uh, what's involved in uh, getting an EASA license, because it's not uncommon to find people who have a uh, commercial pilot's license here in Australia, flying maybe even jets and things like that uh, with the airlines, and they get an opportunity to fly in Europe. So that'd be interesting. How do they go about converting now that this whole new world is coming up? Well, mate... Um, you know, we're trying to keep a South Australian theme here, but um, I'm really at a loss to figure how we can do a segue to our next topic, which is an update from the B-24 Liberator restoration project. Well, they are south, well, I guess southwest of Melbourne. In fact, I suppose you would actually pass it on the way to Adelaide. So there you go. Oh, uh, you're stretching it, mate. Um, if you went via us... Geelong, if you went via Geelong, you'd have to pass it. Oh, you'd have to be taking the Great Ocean Road to go around to Adelaide, which everyone knows is a really slow, touristy, picturesque way of doing it, as opposed to those who just want to get there via the road. Mm, straight up the Western Highway, I'm thinking. Mm, indeed. But uh, at least... Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if they had B-24s in South Australia. Maybe some of our listeners who are more up on uh, military history might be able to help us out with that. But, uh, Grant, i tell you what, way back in episode 28, we went down and spoke to the people at the uh, Liberator Restoration Project down there. They're pretty well advanced on it uh, in many respects, although they had been working on it for 20 years at that time. So uh, I guess things have progressed and uh, you've had a bit of an update. You've made a recent visit. That's right. I went down there with uh, a friend of a friend who was in town, uh, an ex-Cathay Pacific flight engineer. And uh, a friend of his, Ron Tafe, is uh, part of the project and uh, we went down to meet up with Ron and get a bit of a tour. In the process, I uh, scored a few minutes to find out what's been happening since last we spoke to the team. Ron Tafe, welcome to Playing Crazy Down Under. How are you going? I'm doing very well. Welcome to the B-24. Yeah, mate, it's been a couple of years since we were last here and uh, it's quite impressive, the changes. The, the whole nose has been done and lots of interior work. And Can you run us through what's been happening in the last couple of years? I guess we've pretty well got to the, the finishing stages of the outside restoration of the aeroplane. We've removed all the skins, treated them, put them back again and we've worked from the nose all the way down to the back and we're now got to the stage where we can start looking at the fit out of the aeroplane. That's of course requiring people to climb up inside the aeroplane all the time and sure as you climb up inside you forget something. <laughs> climb back out, forget <laughs> it, climb back. But uh, it's, it's going extremely well. And uh, I noticed that you got a lot more of the turret work done, the ball turret over there. The, is ball, that... the ball turret's fully operational. So down there, this yep. is the mid-upper turret. It's fully operational. Uh, the nose turret's being replaced with a fully operational one. There's a guy doing that. And I'm actually physically working on the tail turret at the moment. And one so of our biggest problems is forming up the Perspex domes. We've, uh, we've built an, uh, an oven and we're making moulds and we're slowly working away at it. Now I notice that space is slightly limited at the tail end when you're coming up against the edge of the hangar, so I'm guessing you're not going to be able to put the tailplane on? The, the tailplane has been on uh, the aeroplane and yes we could put it back on the aeroplane, but you notice these supports that are inside, mm -hmm. well one of them gets in the road so we'd have to organise to have it moved. The supports really are only make everyone feel comfortable. We have actually repaired all the timber work outside to support the roof. Okay, because yeah, this is a, a heritage hangar, isn't it? It is. It's the the struts, the struts, and the the tresses are all heritage listed. Uh, when was this hangar built? In the early 40s? Or? Yeah, yeah. 
it was built in about 42, 43, I believe. So now looking inside just before, thank you for turning all the lights on. It's, <laughs> uh, it's quite fascinating. You've got the hydraulics, you've got the running the control cables, and it's really starting to come together. It is. It's fantastic. And the guys have got their own individual little jobs, and they come in and, and uh, open up their toolboxes, work on it for the day, and then go home and and yep. it's it's a fantastic project with in that respect that people are learning skills on how to rig a world war ii airplane a very unique world war ii airplane there's no others in australia how many of these are in, in the world would you know there's about eight left i believe wow. there's one flying in the states and this is the only one in the southern hemisphere because there was something like 300 in the RAAF during the war? Yeah, 280-something, nearly 300 they, yeah. they, they actually purchased. The Australian government purchased, purchased. their own aeroplanes, yes. Wow. Rather than lend-lease or things like yeah. that. Yeah, That's quite different. And, uh, and that's, that's why at the end of the war they just broke them up for pots and pans. It's a terrible tra- shame. Tragic. Yeah, yeah. it but was tragic. When you look back at what we did with all our surplus equipment. But uh, yeah. it's quite fascinating how it's coming along. Uh, of course, you can never say when it's going to be ready but are you starting to get more attention from the government and people like that? No, we get no attention from the government at all. Individual members of the government are very aware of us and very supportive of us, but we haven't had any grants from the government at all to help us with our restoration at all. Which is a real, like, speaking of tragedies, because, like, this is is heritage. This is a very important part of Australia's defence uh, during the World War II and, and, and actually taking it back to the Japanese. Exactly right. The Japanese themselves said that if it wasn't for this aeroplane, yeah. they would have mounted a manned invasion of Australia. These things used to go out and find their supplies or supply ships and, and used to bomb them, strafe them or get in touch with the American destroyers that were in the area and look after them that way. Well, I guess we'll come back every year or so and see how you're going. I've put a a limit. I, I, I feel that we'll be very close to completion in five years' time. But I've been saying that for a few years now. <laughs> five years, five years, five years. And, uh, and so the plan is to get this to a point where you can taxi it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There. Too yeah. much paperwork to get it off the ground, of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. But fully restore it. Fuel tanks, we'll have to uh, make arrangements to put some, uh, some fuel tanks in them. Yeah. Uh, we can't use the original rubber tanks and things like that, but basically it'll be pretty well restored to all original condition. Uh, which then raises the question of how on earth you're going to get it out of this hangar. Would, would it fit out the door? In or? theories, the outer wing sections mm-hmm. unbolt from just outboard of the outboard engines. Okay. And you can see through where the gear goes up, there's an access hole, and you can climb in there and unbolt that. <laughs> uh, during the manufacture of these aeroplanes, they employed dwarfs. To, yep. to get up inside and bolt the outer wing sections on. But we've been, I've been up in there, it's a bit of a squeeze. Oh, but yeah. We would take those off. I would like to see us take those off and just wheel the aeroplane out. Those doors will completely okay. open. And then, yeah, with the outer panels off, it How, fit. However, if, it, if that didn't work, we could split the, the fuselage again, as it was when we brought it in here, lift the wing, the centre wing section off, and take it out in pieces. And that would be, the ideal nirvana would be to get that bigger hangar further down the road. Yeah, yeah. something that the aeroplane can fit in fully. 
Okay, well thanks Ron, I appreciate your time and uh, congratulations on getting it to here. It's a, a labour of love and we're very impressed to see you doing it. It's certainly a group thing, there's, there's 20 to 30 of us work twice a week and without all those volunteers we'd never have got here. No, exactly. It's a testament to everything that, that the, all, the, all the blood, sweat and tears that everyone's put into it. <laughs> yes, it certainly is. It certainly is. Thanks, Ron. You're welcome. Yeah, and we'd uh, certainly encourage uh, all of our listeners to get out that way. It's not far from Melbourne. It's about uh, 25 minutes, maybe half an hour down the uh, Geelong Freeway. Well worth a visit, Grant. In fact, uh, I think I saw somebody else down there the other day that we are quite familiar with. He sounds usually like this. Oh. The famous Midnight Postie. Yeah, in fact, he dropped our mail off there. That postman, he knows everything. Oh, he's just so good, mate. It was lucky I was coming back in a car, though, to be able to carry it all. <laughs> Playing crazy down under at gmail.com, folks, is the email address. Uh, feel free to drop us a line. You can also drop us a line on our Facebook page, too, if you like. And in fact, Grant, we also have a, a little uh, voicemail feature on the Facebook page now from a, uh, an outfit called SpeakPipe. You can actually uh, leave us a voicemail, and if you leave us a nice one, well... Yeah, okay, it's got to be a nice one, not a nasty one. If you leave us a nice one, we might even play it on the show. Head on over to our Facebook page and click on the uh, little button at the top there that says Speak Pipe, and uh, yes, speak into it. Let us know what's on your mind. Anyway, somebody that's done that and sent us in a, uh, an email, which I printed out, is in fact from Drew McDonald. And uh, you might find Drew on uh, many, many forums around, including on uh, downwind.com.au as Twisted Rider. A lot of people know uh, Drew as Twisted Rider. Now, uh, you know, it's a bit of a sad email in many ways. He says, hi, fellas. Sadly, I'm uh, having to report my withdrawal from the learner ranks. Now, uh, we know that uh, Drew's been doing his uh, uh, GFPT for a while and, uh, and trying to get his PPL and all that sort of stuff. Well, it uh, looks like he's having to put that on hold for financial reasons. Grant, uh, that's really sad, isn't it? And how common, and do we hear this story a lot, don't we? Oh, mate, I hear it every day. I tell people about why I'm not a pilot yet. <laughs> yeah. It's just all too common. It's very expensive, and uh, a lot of people are just trying to survive and squirrel some money away for the inevitable and make sure they've got a bit of a buffer to be able to pay rent and things or uh, mortgage. And uh, yeah, flying, unless you're trying to do it for a career, it's pretty hard to be able to afford it, even if you are doing it as a career. Uh, Even with the latest vet help and things like that that allow you to defer the costs, it's still pretty expensive. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, Drew's having to hang up his logbook. Yeah, very sorry to hear that, mate. And we've written back to Drew. He actually makes the point here that it's not the fault of his flying school. It's just that, uh, you know, things are expensive these days. They have to make their profits and uh, so that they can keep viable but uh, unfortunately it's just put it out of his reach we sympathize mate i think we're all in that uh, we're all in that place and he's, he's saying here that he's hoping for a lotto win and i've advised him to take a number buddy i'm first <laughs> there's going to be any lotto lotto winnings in the pcdu ranks i'm first yeah well I'm, uh, you two are ahead of me because um i've ended my uh, world domination via lotto win plans <laughs> uh, i was sort of ahead for a while but i've just given up on it now, uh, Drew also mentions here that he's got a uh, David Clark headset that he'd like to get rid of, a nice pair of uh, David Clarks. Now, uh, oh, I wouldn't mind them. He says he wants $200 for them. So if anybody's interested in a uh, nice pair of David Clark headsets, about the best you can buy, in my humble opinion. <laughs> uh, he wants 200 bucks for them, and uh, you can send us uh, your contact details if you're interested. Uh, just drop us a line here at the podcast, and we'll uh, be happy to pass your details on. Uh, Drew, we wish you all the best, and he wants to know, too, uh, if we're going to uh, cover the topic of uh, flight sims. And when he says flight sims, Granny means the Things such as X-Plane and uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. Uh, Grant, you're uh, you're more uh, into that sort of stuff than me, so what do you reckon? Actually, we've had quite a few uh, requests over the, the years we've been doing this to cover this topic, and we keep saying, yes, yes, we'll do it, and we never have. Well, uh, maybe it's about time we did exactly that. And in fact, I think ATC Ben is into some sort of virtual airline thing, isn't he? Yeah, he does seem to be into that. He was a few years ago. I don't know if he still is now, um, given that he's a, a very busy air traffic controller. But I, I haven't flown a flight simulator on my desktop for quite 
quite a while. The um, X-Plane and Flight, Microsoft Flight Simulator were pretty good. Uh, Microsoft Flight, the new one, is more of a game, but you can expand on it. It's a bit more modular. So maybe I, I haven't heard from anyone who's actually trying to make it into a proper simulator for keeping current with processes. A lot of the guys used to use Microsoft Flight Simulator just to... Uh, go through the uh, simulation of doing a flight they'd be doing so they'd know when they'd be changing um, nav aids and they were more confident with the actual thinking and mental processes so that when they're in the aircraft they could just focus on the actual flicking of the buttons and, and flying the aircraft. So like a procedures trainer, they were, they were pretty happy with that. But uh, I don't think, unlike the US, I don't think we can clock hours on X-Plane towards... Um, sort of like a concurrent a currency aspect but maybe we should uh, try and get an update on what the latest is on flight simulators and uh, speak to a couple of instructors on how they can be used yep now we know a lot of our listeners uh, are into uh, these sort of flight sims so if you uh, if you consider yourself an expert on the topic and you perhaps would like to come on the show and talk about it certainly drop us a line or if you know some people that are seriously into this sort of stuff um, I will admit that uh, I don't I'm not into those sort of games myself I, I find that uh, when I've tried to play them funny enough I can't land them very well I can do the takeoff and all the rest but <laughs> Uh, you just don't have that sort of holistic feedback, I find. I just need to be able to feel it through the seat of my pants, I guess. Uh, it's probably the best way of describing it. Well, you when know, you can't mate, feel the, the ground uh, affected, so I find it hard to land. But hey, that's just me. Mate, the only time I really enjoyed uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator was when it was being used to drive that Flight Experience 737 uh, cockpit. Yeah, well, okay. I'll make an exception there. I'd be quite happy to go back and fly that again. I could land that, mostly. Yeah, mostly, yeah. Well, you know, any landing you walk away from is a good one, Grant. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I think I crawled away. But anyhow. So uh, that's just the one listener mail this week. Uh, they've kind of dried up a little, folks, but, uh, you know, that's probably because we haven't put a lot of content in. Not nearly as much content this year so far as we would have uh, liked to have done, but playing crazy down under at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and uh, we'd love to read your, your mail out on the show, particularly when you say nice things. And <laughs> <laughs> But you don't have to say nice things. You can tell us what you think. So, you know, we'll take it. That's right. We can take it. Now, we just want to give a bit of a shout out here, too, to uh, one of our followers on Facebook who goes uh, under the name Josh Bullet. Josh, uh, we just want to give a shout out to you, mate. He's been in constant contact with us over the last month or two with uh, some fantastic story suggestions, and he's uh, doing everything he can to entice us up to the wings of the Illawarra Air Show, which is coming up, and um, even helping us maybe to find a sponsor. Um, really appreciate that, Josh. It's, uh, it's been uh, fantastic chatting with you backwards and forwards there on the chat screen, and uh, we hope to be able to get up there soon, even if we don't make that air show, although at this stage we plan to be there. But then we plan to be at the Splash Inn for Lake Boga too, and that didn't happen. So Yeah, well, there was uh, mitigating circumstances there. Yeah. Uh, but, Both uh, on the domestic and the health front. Uh, Josh has had uh, quite some military experience too, uh, looks like in the Air Force. So um, he's been able to supply us with some uh, some great facts and figures when we've needed it over the last couple of years. Really appreciate it, mate. So just a big shout out to you. Looking forward to meeting you at some point in the very near future, we hope. Indeed, mate. Indeed. But uh, our second shout out for this episode is uh, to a uh, pilot mate of ours, Doug Worrell. Uh, he's produced a book called Dragons of Thin Air that is uh, all about uh, fighting the fear of flying. So if you know someone who's afraid of flying, uh, we definitely recommend Doug's book, Dragons of Thin Air, and it's now available as an ebook. So you can be reading it on your Kindle or on your tablet uh, using the Kindle software, and no one needs to know that you're actually reading about the fear of flying. Very handy, these things. Absolutely. Now, we sort of take it as Lent that, uh, you know, anyone that's listening to this show probably doesn't have a fear of flying, but um, we all know somebody who does have a fear of flying. My wife, for example, doesn't like flying. Well, maybe I should get her this book. Yeah, or maybe you shouldn't just uh, try and keep rolling the aircraft like you did last time you took her up. Oh, well, you know, hey, so I, w- I was having fun. <laughs> yeah, I know. So was I. <laughs> Hearing about it. Anyhow, 
Doug's new book, Dragons of Thin Air, and it's now available as an ebook. So if you go to dragonsoffthinair.com, and we'll have that in the show notes, uh, check it out. And uh, if, if you're up for it, buy it as an ebook. Help support Doug. He's a cool guy and a really great book. Yep, fantastic, and uh, dragonsofthinair.com. And uh, we're hoping we'll have Doug and uh, his co-author on the show uh, sometime later in this year. We'd hope to have that done by now, but um, schedules just haven't worked out. But we, uh, they have actually sent us some copies of the book down to have a look at, and it's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, we're hoping to uh, have them on the show, as I say, uh, later in the year. So, uh, Doug, if you're listening, you better pencil some time out, mate, so we can uh, make this happen. Indeed. Well, I reckon that just about wraps up this episode, Grant. Uh, it's, it's been another busy one, and, uh, boy, I tell you what, it's been busy getting across to all these air shows, but... It's it's been a, a heck of a lot of fun, I can tell you. Oh, mate, any day that's surrounded by aviation, even if it's static and you're just crawling over somebody's warbird. Oh, I think the guys over there at the Parafield Air Show, they, they should have been happy with the way that went. I think, um, you know, they were a little bit nervous from what I could tell from from how it might go. As, as I said at the start of the show, they hadn't had one for a few years, but uh, I think they would have learned a lot from this one, and I'm sure they'll be making some improvements to make it even more popular in following years, and uh, I'm sure they'll be having more of them. It was great to see the roulettes there. It was great to actually get some time to talk with them. You know, the really cool thing thing about the roulettes grant is that they you know they they spend time getting out there and, and just talking to joe average and getting out there and talking to the public and uh, i tell you what i don't think the ref could find a, a better recruiting tool a better public relations tool than the roulettes they they really do a fantastic job it was great to see them in action we, we've seen them do these sort of pr uh, events uh, at uh, point cook uh, here at parafield they actually um they actually set up a table there and they were signing posters and you know autographing caps and all that sort of stuff it was really good to see yeah no that that's that is good it's the kind of thing they do at avalon uh when they're when they're doing the show there but uh, I think the other good bit about it was you got a bit of time to talk to the ground crew yeah, that was great. And uh, you know what I like about the Grand Cruise is that uh, you see their tools and everything. You know, they sort of bring all their spare parts and their toolkits and stuff with them, and all that stuff just sparkles. It actually reminds <laughs> me of the time we went up to Amberley that time. Remember, we were in the, uh, the F-111 hangar there, and it was yep. sparkling as well. Oh, yeah, some great great equipment and very well kept. I'll tell you the only other thing I'd like to make a request, and it's not, not a request of the rule. It's a, it's a request of the Chief of Air Force. You know, we'd like them flying jets again. <laughs> 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 I, I think we can spare a few Hawk 127s. <laughs> Oh, mate, I think what we need is the roulettes on the PC-9 and then we need the, uh, remember that four-ship element that would do shows like at Avalon when you get four F-18s? That was really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I love watching the roulettes when they're flying the Mackie jets. I mean, I love watching them there, don't get me wrong, but um, it's just a little bit more cool when they're flying jets. So uh, we need to get the <laughs> government to give them some some cool-sounding aircraft, some cool-looking aircraft. I, I think we can spare a few hawks. <laughs> don't like my chances of that, but I just thought I'd put it out there. Negligible, dude. <laughs> anyway. Still? If you don't offer, you never know. Now, uh, thanks also to Peter Johnson. Uh, as we mentioned uh, before, we've got uh, some some topics coming up that uh, Peter's going to go and, and research for you. If you'd like to find out more about Peter, you can either go to our uh, webpage and click on the Who We Are tab, and you'll find uh, a little bio on Peter there. And check out his website too, which is at xtpmedia.co.uk. Uh, and if you're uh, over there in Europe or you know someone in Europe that uh, has a topic that uh, might be of interest uh, to people over there, particularly as it pertains to uh, aviation in this part of the world, uh, we, we try to spin it that way a little. Uh, uh, then certainly let us uh, know and we'll pass that on to Peter. And, of course, you can also catch Peter every week on the Airplane Geeks with his segment, which is called Across the Pond. Thus the XTP. Well, there you go. Hey, brilliant. I'd never thought of it that way. Oh, dude. <laughs> it was just there right in front of your URL. Well, I'm not very bright. 
especially at this time of night. So I think it's time that we uh, signed off. And mate, don't forget, everyone, check out the uh, new PCDU logo products, uh, merchandise in the store. Uh, we've updated our Cafe Press store to use the new logo. And uh, things are looking pretty sexy in there, I tell you. Yeah, we'd appreciate your support. We've had a few people going in there. In fact, I uh, just got a new uh, PCDU cover for my iPhone the other day, Grant, now that I have an iPhone. Yeah, cool. So I've ditched the Crackberry and uh, I'm sitting here drinking from my plain crazy down under coffee cup. <laughs> You're fully of, branded, dude. Yeah, absolutely, fully branded, absolutely. And uh, yeah, we make a little bit of money out of that and it sort of uh, goes uh, towards supporting the show and supporting our efforts to get around and uh, showcase Australia and uh, Kiwi aviation. That's what we're trying to do here. And uh, so everything, every uh, little bit of publicity we can get helps and you know, a little bit of cash doesn't hurt us either. So uh, yeah, if you'd like to get over there, just uh, go to cafepress.com slash PCDU and uh, we'd really appreciate your support. Man, you know, if you buy one of our shirts, send us a photo of you in it. Yeah, exactly. Post it up and uh, or set, email it to us and uh, we'll let people see just how cool everyone looks in their PCDU shirts because I guarantee these shirts will make you cooler. Yep, Grant. And while we're also talking about promoting ourselves, we should also uh, point out that uh, we have our email newsletter as well. So, uh, you know, if you just can't get enough PCDU, uh, head across to our website or even off the Facebook page and uh, click on the uh, uh, newsletter tab there and uh, just put your email address in there and that way we can uh, send you our uh, update on all the things we're doing and where you can find us and uh, how you can contact us and all that sort of stuff. All our show notes and everything go into these newsletters. We generally put them out about uh, once every, probably one newsletter for every second show, I think is the way it's going. It seems to be settling down to that. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make this solemn promise that we, we don't pass your email details along to anybody else. As Courtney Miller once famously said in the early episodes of the Airplane Geeks podcast, we wouldn't even know how to do that and we've got no interest in doing that. We just uh, <laughs> It's just, uh, just a way for us to uh, keep you in the loop as to what's going on. So, uh, yeah, so we'd, uh, we'd like to have you uh, added to that list if you haven't taken it up so far. Always good to have more people on the list, uh, letting them uh, keep up with all the latest news of fun and uh, excitement from PCDU. Thanks very much for listening, folks. As always, we hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back very soon with, it, with another episode. But until then, Grant, I tell you what, if you're flying around in this rainy weather, well, just remember this. It's what's down under that counts, folks. You've been listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, hosted by Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website, www.planecrazydownunder.com or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at planecrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It 5 by Brian Simpson. This has been a Southern Skies online media podcast. folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www 
www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. Steve, Steve, I'm sorry, Steve. Um, Don't mind me calling you a bill there. No, it's all right, Mary. It's all right. <laughs> okay, ready? Go. Ready, ready. Ready, ready, ready. No, I'm not ready. Are you Never sure? ready. Are you sure you're ready? <laughs> um, hang on. Please wait while I just I activate knew you the life ready. support unit. <laughs> sorry? I knew you weren't ready. <laughs> Please wait while I activate the life support unit. <laughs> Actually, I'm more like a death support unit. That'll, oh, yeah. that'll work better. That's it. Okay. Hot Black Desiato. I'm spending a year dead for yeah. tax purposes. <laughs> and on that note, I should say, well, g'day, folks, and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 86 of the program. I think most of them are down around here and in uh, Tokemall in New South Wales. See, I said it right this time. Yes, I'm very impressed. In fact, people should note that Grant has really improved his Australian accent since we've been doing this show. He could never say Tokemall way back in the day. Yeah, I used to get in trouble for how I used to try and pronounce it. But anyhow, if you um, if you look up Tokemall on a uh, on a, a map, uh, just go for YTOC, Yankee Tango Oscar Charlie. That's the uh, airport code. Search that one up. And that'll see how Tokemall is spelt. And you, like me, could also be scratching your head on how the heck these Aussies made to pro- manage to pronounce it quite like that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, mate, that's a pretty uh, interesting topic, that one. And I think it'd be great if Peter's able to uh, find some folks in Europe who can... Uh, oh. Yay. Fireys, I think. That's, way. that's a meat wagon. Oh, okay. Just sounded pretty rumbly as it went past. That's an outtake. <laughs> They're coming to look for you, Steve. Yeah. It's your guys. They want you back. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sounds like this country. Way back in 1991, I remember coming back here and having them saying, oh, we won't recognize your American license. I'm sorry. Go away. <laughs> yeah, well. Twitch, mate. twitch. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nice to see that all these years later, you still, you know, still haven't let that one go. Yes. I mean, oh, well, that's all right. I I really enjoyed being a bus driver for 10 years. Anyway, let's move on. Well, I was going to say, I think that uh, means that Tiger's got absolutely no hope of you ever letting that one go about Perth all those years ago. <laughs> no. <laughs>